Imagine this scene with me, if you would. A shepherd boy lies in a field late at night, staring at the stars, tracing the constellations with his finger. He's worshiping the God who created it all. And he's wondering, what is man in the vastness of the universe? Who am I? And what's my purpose in life? That same shepherd boy, now the king of Israel, lies on the roof of his palace, still staring at the stars, still worshiping and wondering. But now, as one who knows just a bit about reigning over a kingdom, this king understands that the most amazing display of the glory of the great king is not in creating the heavens and the earth, but it's in crowning mankind as vice-regents over his creation. This morning, as we study Psalm 8, my prayer is that we will all worship, and we will all wonder, and we will all understand better our place in God's kingdom on earth. Please take your copy of God's Word to turn to the 8th Psalm, and let's read that together. Psalm 8. To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's God's word. Amen. So in this sermon this morning, we're going to look at uh, three things. We're going to look at Psalm 8 in three ways. First of all, the message of Psalm 8. Secondly, the gospel in Psalm 8. And then thirdly, our response to Psalm 8. So first of all, let's take a look at the message of Psalm 8. In a nutshell, Psalm 8 is the king of Israel worshiping and wondering at the majesty of the king of all creation. 
Psalm 8 is a song. Notice there in the inscription, it's a song for the choir master to be used in worship. Now, if you look at the inscription again, we don't know what, according to the Gittith means. It might be a tune. It might be an instrument. We don't know. It's one of those words that we find in the Psalter that has been lost in translation. But what we do know is that this is a song to be used by God's people to praise their Lord. Notice the personal nature of God here. In verse 1 and in verse 9, the beginning and the end of the psalm, O Lord, our Lord, Yahweh, our Master. This is a song of God's covenant people. And friends, this is one of the reasons that when we gather together on the Lord's Day, we sing songs. We sing songs publicly in our worship service. And Psalm 8 is another good reason why you should sing privately in worship. And might add some of you more privately than others. But Psalm 8 is a song, and it goes on to tell us who wrote this song. It is a psalm of David. It's very important to understand that David is the king of Israel, and he's declaring in Psalm 8 the transcendent majesty of the king of creation. Look again at the beginning and the end, which bookend this psalm the same way, verse 1 and 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David is declaring the majesty of the king of creation. And David understands a bit about the majesty of kings. Majesty is the public image of a king. It's his excellency. It's, it's what causes him to be lifted above the others and placed in his office. The majesty of the king is, is often uh, determined by the glory of his kingdom and the strength of his armies. You think about any king in any kingdom, and you could determine his majesty by his glory, the vastness of his kingdom, and the strength of his army. And these are the two things that David points out about the king of creation. Look in verse 1 and 2. David is worshiping the king of creation. In verse 1, you have set your glory above the heavens. David says that the, the king of creation's glory is revealed in the vastness of the heavens. Verse 1 and verse 3. Uh, this is likely set at night. Did you notice in verse 3 that he's looking at the heavens, the moon, and the stars, but there's no mention of the sun. And so there... Whether a shepherd boy or whether the king of Israel, this is a nighttime song where David is staring at the starry sky where there's no, there's no lights in that time. Perfect pitch blackness at night to be able to stare into the heavens. Have you ever done that? Just gone out at night and looked into the sky and worshiped God? You know, the technology that we have these days takes it way beyond the naked eye. 
Have you read about the James Webb Telescope? It's now showing us images of the vastness of space like we've never seen before. You've got to look at some of these images if you haven't seen them. They're phenomenal. One of my favorite stories is that the NASA scientists had seen some very interesting blank space in the universe, and they were waiting for the new Webb telescope to get there so that it could take pictures of this strange blank space. What was this blank space in the universe? And when the Webb telescope finally got there, they found out it wasn't blank at all. It was full of millions and billions of stars. Those stars we have never seen yet. But Psalm 147 says, God determined the number of those stars and he gives them all names. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Psalm 119 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge, and there's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Everywhere on earth, the glory of God as creator is seen through the stars and the moon. The king's glory is revealed in the vastness of heaven. But then look at the contrast. He goes from verse 1 to verse 2. From the vastness of the heavens to the smallness of babies. Verse 2. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. You want to know about the glory and the strength of the creator king of the universe. You look at the big things and you look at the small things. Charles Spurgeon says, In the sky, the massive orbs rolling in their stupendous grandeur are witnesses of his power in great things, while here below, the utterances of babies are the manifestations of his strength in little ones. Willem van German said, while God's enemies, here in verse 2, sound a note of discord, it's silenced by the praise of children. The sound of children, Van Gemmeren says, is concrete evidence of God's strength on earth. The continuity of the human race is God's way of assuring the ultimate glorification of an earth populated with a new humanity. The sound of opposition is silenced by the babbling and chattering of the children. What a contrast. What a king. We see the glory of the king in the heavens and in the babies. David is worshiping. But then look in verse 3 through 8. David is wondering. Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked at the vastness of the heavens and then 
wondered about your place in this universe? I think it's natural, especially at some point in our lives, to do such a thing. David is wondering here. Verse 3, he says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? In verse 3, David looks at the grandeur of the universe. Note the, the grandeur of the universe is the work of God's what? Look at verse 3. It's the work of God's fingers. God is pictured here as setting the stars in place, just like my wife might set the table for Thanksgiving. David looks at the grandeur of all of the work of God's hands and the intricate placement of his universe by his fingers. And then in verse 4, he wonders, what is man? Who am I? What is our purpose here? Van Gemmeren again says these questions are poetic devices to evoke a sense of awe and set a proper perspective on the self-worth of human beings as created by God. What is man, David wonders, compared to the vastness of the universe? What is man such a small and seemingly inconsequential creature? David marvels in verse 4. The king of creation is mindful of mankind. What's man that you are mindful of him? To be mindful is to remember. To, to remember and not dismiss. <laughs> David says, And the son of man that you care for him. The king cares for mankind. He visits mankind. He pays attention and takes care of mankind. And that's not all. Verse 5 through 8, just the, the amount of text shall, shows us that this is the emphasis of this particular psalm. David not only marvels that the king is mindful of mankind and cares for mankind, but verse 5 through 8 shows us that David is marveling that the king has crowned mankind as vice regents over his creation. The king of Israel says, what is man that you have crowned him as co-regent over all your works? Look at verse 5 through 8. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him Mankind, dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, everything. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David says, 
that the king has made mankind lower than the angels. What does that mean? Here in Psalm 8, he's talking about three different kinds of creatures. Angels, man, and animals. William Plummer says, man is inferior to nothing God has made except the angels. So God has made man lower than the angels. But then what does he go on to say? He has given us superiority over the rest of creation. All of the rest of creation. You have made man lower than the angels. You have crowned. What a beautiful word, don't you think? The king of all creation has crowned humanity with what? Something that only belongs to the king. Glory and honor. Have you ever thought about humanity? And your place in humanity as the king of the universe crowning you with glory and honor? Is this true? Genesis chapter 1 and 2 teaches us that God has set mankind as the pinnacle of his creation and crowned us as co-regents, vice-regents over all creation. And David says so much in the next phrase. Look there in verse 6. You have given him mankind what? Dominion. God has the ultimate authority, the ultimate dominion over all of creation, but he has given mankind dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, just emphasizing the dominion that man has. If you want later, you can go back to Genesis chapter 1 and read it again for yourself. Here's what the creation story tells us. Then God said, on the sixth day, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, he created them. God has given dominion to all mankind both male and female. God has placed all things under the feet of humanity. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, look at it a little bit later, goes on to explain what that dominion looks like. The Lord God took the man, beautiful imagery, God creates a garden, verse 15 the Lord God took the man and, quote, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. What does it look like for man to have dominion over God's creation? It looks like working it and keeping it. We work it 
on behalf of God as vice regents, charged with the responsibility, we do the work necessary for God's creation to flourish. We serve so that God's creation flourishes. We work it and we keep it. Keeping is a, uh, is a guarding term. It's to watch over something. It's to stay awake. It is to keep guard. That means that we protect it. Mankind was given the responsibility to serve and to protect, to work and to protect. How many things? All things. And David there lays in the field or lays on the roof of the palace, looking at the stars, worshiping and wondering that God has chosen man for this. I think it would have been more natural for God to choose his angels for this, don't you? But not God. It might have even been more natural for him to choose some of the other species of his creation. We're pretty small and weak compared to some of the other creatures that God has made. I mean, human beings are not as strong as elephants. We're not as big as blue whales. We're not as fierce as lions. We're not as fast as cheetahs. We can't soar as high as eagles. And yet God has given mankind dominion over them all. King David is worshiping and wondering, what is man so small and yet the king of creation is mindful and cares for him and has crowned him with dominion over all things. The amazing majesty of the king of creation is this. His strength is declared by the weak. His dominion is entrusted to the small so that God's glory is unmistakable to all. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Friends, man was created and crowned as vice regents. What did we do with that responsibility? We failed. You see, the gospel can be told in four parts. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And we see all here in Psalm 8. Man was created and crowned as vice regents over the earth, but man fell from that exalted position. We know that by our own experience. We know that by Genesis 1 through 3. As the representative head of humanity, Adam disobeyed God's law, and he failed to protect the earth from the enemy. Adam's sin brought the curse of death on all of creation. 
there is not any part of creation that is now unaffected by the curse of Adam's sin. Adam's sin brought labor to our work and pain to childbirth. Adam's sin banished mankind from the presence of God to live outside the garden. But the good news is this. Man has been redeemed through Psalm 8, the Son of Man, who is Jesus Christ. In his incarnation... The Son of God became the Son of Man, the second Adam, to fulfill the responsibilities for which Adam and his sons had been crowned. King Jesus came to fulfill them all. The author of Hebrews that read, that Rob read for us earlier, says that Jesus fulfills Psalm 8. Hebrews 2, verse 9. We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus fulfills Psalm of 8. He is the Son of Man. He further fulfills Psalm 8 because in in a notable story from his life, Jesus quoted Psalm 8 in reference to himself. Do you remember that time? Do you remember when Jesus uh, made a public display of the religious rulers by going into the temple and overturning the tables and running out the money changers? Do you remember that scene? One of the things that might be easily overlooked with the rampage going on there, is the fact that Matthew 21 records that right after that happened, the blind and the lame came to Jesus and the children cried out, quote, Hosanna, the son of David. The little children were crying out. Lord, save us. You're the Messiah. You're the son of King David, the promised one. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, were furious about this because Jesus was accepting the praise of the little children. The chief priests, Matthew 21 records, were indignant and said to Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read, quote, out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? Jesus quoted Psalm 8 and basically said to them, it's being fulfilled right before your eyes today. He is the son of man who receives the praise of the little children. 
in the incarnation, Jesus, the king of creation, became the son of man to redeem the sons of men. And the son of man lived his life exercising dominion over all things. And thereby he fulfilled his and our role as vice regent on the earth. Think about it. His righteous life fulfilled God's law and provides righteousness by faith. His sacrificial death on the cross satisfied God's justice and provides forgiveness by grace. His bodily resurrection from the dead defeats death and ensures eternal life for all of God's people. His heavenly reign as King of kings and Lord of lords is presently accomplishing God's plan of redemption on earth until the day that it is finished and he will return and do what? Set up his kingdom in a new heaven and new earth. Friends, that's the gospel. The Son of God became the Psalm 8 Son of Man to fulfill the role that Adam and all of his sons failed to fulfill by exercising dominion over all things so that the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve can be redeemed from the curse of sin and death. Listen, friend, if you're not a Christian, this good news calls you to faith in God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This calls you to turn away from living your own life as the king of your own little kingdom and calls you to bow the knee to Jesus Christ and to come to him for forgiveness of sin, restoration to God, and eternal life. And that's exactly what happens. Man was created and crowned. Man fell from that exalted position. But man has been redeemed through the Son of Man. And those who are united with Christ by faith are restored to the exalted position of vice-regent. Do you feel royal this morning? <laughs> Have you ever thought of yourself? as now being restored back to the way that God originally intended it so that you and I serve as vice regents with our King Jesus? Well, friends, that leads me to the final way we can look at Psalm 8. The response to Psalm 8, in my opinion, is quite simple. Number one, we worship the Lord, our Lord. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God is not just a distant, big God. He is the Lord, our Lord. And we can sing this song as the covenant people of the Lord. 
We can stand in awe of the majesty of the king of creation, revealed in the glory of all of his heavens, but we're even more amazed at his mindfulness of us, at his care for us, and we're blown away that he would crown us as vice regents along with his king, Jesus? Worship. I think the second way we respond to Psalm 8 is in humility. In humility. David not only worshiped, but he wondered. He said, Lord, who am I? What is man? Any true worship of God will bring humility to our own soul, does it not? We recognize in humility that we've failed our calling. Not only as the human race generally, but individually. We need to be rescued. We need to be brought back to God by King Jesus, our Savior. Humility. And then our response to Psalm 8 is gratitude. I left Psalm 8 this week so thankful for King Jesus, the Son of Man. In my study this week, I was so thankful that God did not leave us under the headship of Adam, but by faith we can be under and united with the headship of the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you so grateful for that? As you bow your head over a Thanksgiving meal this week, thank God for your family. Thank God for your friends. Thank God for all of his many blessings to us. But focus on the greatest blessing, the spiritual blessings that we have through the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. So thankful. Worship and humility and gratitude. But friends, don't stop there. The greater part of this psalm calls us and notifies us that we have been crowned as vice regents with our king. So our response to Psalm 8 is service. We know our place here. When we look at the heavens and we marvel at God's the work of his hands and the placement of his fingers, we recognize that we're not inconsequential. God has ordained humanity as vice regents over all of his creation. What does that look like? What does it look like to exercise dominion as one who's united with King Jesus? Let me suggest just a couple of ways. First of all, we exercise dominion by representing our king as his ambassadors on earth. Listen, friends, we're part of his body, his bride, his church. His church is the authorized embassy on earth. We're indwelled and empowered with his spirit. We're free to live in his righteousness and represent his righteousness on earth. We're no longer slaves to sin. Friend, we've been, we have been freed from slavery to sin. 
We're now sons of God, and we can use our minds and our bodies to live righteous lives for his glory. We represent our king. We can live in light of his reign and his return. Which means that even one who gets a dreaded diagnosis of cancer doesn't have to be afraid of death because she knows that her God is sovereign. And she knows that when he is done with her here, he will take her to be with Christ, quote, and that is far better. Beautiful testimony of faith, even in the midst of difficulty and disease. Listen, friends, we exercise dominion not only by representing our king, we exercise dominion by multiplying. Wasn't that what God called us to do? Be fruitful and multiply. Be wonderful. Families for you to multiply by childbirth. But as representatives of King Jesus, we multiply also by making disciples. We share the good news so that God can give birth to more of his children through even our witness. We exercise dominion by protecting. Protecting our families, by protecting our hearts, by protecting our homes and our church from the attacks of the enemy. We stand on guard. We watch. We protect. But I think the one thing that I would like to emphasize before I close this morning is that we exercise dominion by working. We work in God's creation. Isn't that what God called Adam and Eve to do there in the garden? Work it. Keep it. Toil the ground. Not toil, but till the ground. And cultivate the garden so that it flourishes. Friends, I think that we need to see our work as part of what God is doing in us and through us to exercise dominion everywhere his people are on earth. Whether you work in your home, whether you work uh, at a job, whether, whether you teach or whether you do hands-on labor or work primarily with your mind, we work and we exercise dominion. We care for the people around us. We, we care for the world in which we live. One of the most important ways is wherever we are through our work. Uh, Keith, Keith Welton is a pastor in Georgia, and he wrote on the Gospel Coalition this. God created people to have dominion. They weren't created to vacation or shop or play video games all day. People were created to work. Your work is an opportunity to image God by bringing goodness and order and light and life to others. He goes on, so our jobs 
present opportunities for us to have dominion over what God has created. We get to reign over the things that belong to God. So that swivel chair, call it your throne. And those accounts, call them your kingdom. They're God's and he's given them to you for a time to steward. We exercise dominion by working. This week, wherever you are, whatever you do, in your sphere of influence, remember that you're on mission for the Creator King who has not only created you, but redeemed you through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. Friends, my prayer is that you will worship and you will wonder and we will all get to work as co-regents in God's kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, we bow our heads before you because you're God and we're not. And we praise you for this truth. We praise you that you have not only displayed your glory through your heavens, but you have been mindful of us. You have cared for us. And the most glorious display of your care for us is by redeeming us through the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have reinstated us, restored us to the original calling of being vice regents here. I pray that you would give us a view of ourselves, that we're servants of the king wherever we are, whatever we're doing, whether that's at home with our family. I pray that you would give energy and grace and patience to moms and dads in the home. I pray for everyone that goes outside of their home to work, that they would represent you and your kingdom through their work. I pray that our church would represent you as one of your authorized embassies here in Winchester, Virginia. We love you. We worship you. We marvel at your majesty. It's in the name of our King Jesus we pray. Amen.